Amen. <coughs> well, let's open to Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. We're still in Revelation chapter 1, but not for long. We're going to finish up chapter 1 today. But don't expect it's going to go that fast the rest of the way, necessarily. All right. Revelation chapter 1, we're going to do verses 9 through 20 today. There are handouts in the back as well as the prayer sheets if you'd like to grab one if you haven't gotten one already. Revelation chapter 1. But verse number 9 says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom of pa and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as, a, as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and, set, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and be, being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his foot, to the foot, and girt with a pa uh, about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white with like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as, it, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at, my, at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which, are, which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. <coughs> All right, well, as we've introduced the book of Revelation, we have learned that Jesus is the revealer. He is, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants with things which must shortly come to pass. And so God gave it the, uh, the revelation to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gave it to us through by means of an angel, a messenger. Uh, and then we see that John is the recorder. So Jesus is the revealer. John is the recorder. And it says in verse 1, he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. <coughs> Seven churches of Asia Minor are the recipients. Uh, verse 4 says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Uh, at the conclusion of chapter 1, we get a glimpse of the Patmos vision. Uh, the Apostle John has uh, been banished by the Roman government uh, during the reign of Domitian. 
Um, Patmos is an island in the Mediterranean Sea near Miletus. And uh, it is a working colony, uh, work colony, where he was sent uh, and banished there. And Rome was to the west and Jerusalem was to the east, if that gives you an idea of where he is. Uh, now in this passage here, first we see Roman number one, the scribe. We've talked about this kind of already, the, uh, John being the recorder. Uh, but again, he says that in verse number nine, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And John introduces himself and his situation that he's in. Uh, first, he gives the, his description. Uh, letter A there uh, is his description. Uh, he calls himself brother, our brother in Christ. Uh, he is, uh, he is uh, trusted in Christ as his Savior, just as we can today, some 2,000 years later. Uh, and as such, now the statement may depend upon what you, your experience with family is. Uh, but when I saw this, the first thing that came to my mind was he's family and he can be trusted. Amen. Uh, and I hope that's your experience as well. But let me tell you, it can be your experience with John. Uh, first of all, because he was a good man, but second of all, most importantly, because what he is saying is given to him by Jesus Christ himself and uh, moved by the Holy Spirit to write what he's writing. And so it's trustworthy because he's our brother. Uh, secondly, he calls himself his, our companion. The assumption was that we too will go through the same things that he has been going through. Well, what has he been going through? Uh, well, the Bible says... Uh, who uh, also am your brother and companion in what? Tribulation. Uh, so he is our companion in tribulation. Now, understand that this was first written to the first century church, the churches of Asia Minor. And uh, they were going through persecution just like much of the first century Christians were doing. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. <coughs> we may not suffer to the extent that these Christians have gone through, but yet it may still come in our lifetime. Uh, things can change drastically, very quickly. And uh, so we need to realize that uh, that's just part of being a Christian, is part as our taking up our cross and following him. And this first century Christians who were, uh, he was writing to certainly was going through tribulation. Uh, second of all, he says, uh, a companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Boy, aren't you glad he didn't just leave it at tribulation. Amen. Uh, he's also our companion in the kingdom. Hey, John's going to be our companion in heaven. Amen. Uh, we're going to get to talk to him. I love that uh, song. Let's see if I can remember the song title, though. Um, what is that? Where, uh, oh, I guess that's, that's gone. Uh, but the, I'm walking through heaven and I, was, I say, talk to uh, Timothy and, you know, and the names of the different people. Does anybody know that song at all? Uh, well, anyways, Hallelujah Square, I think is what it is, maybe. Uh, but that's a good old Southern Gospel song. We'll have to sing it sometime. But, uh, but uh, talking about the different people that I want to see, but I want to see Jesus. That wasn't Hallelujah Square, that was something else. Uh, well, anyways, Hallelujah Square is good too. Anyways. Uh, you know, we're gonna, he's going to be our companion in the kingdom. Amen. 
Uh, what a great thing. What an amazing thing to be able to know that we're going to be able to talk to him. and talk to what. Tell me about what you saw. Maybe we'll have already seen it by then. I don't know. But uh, tell me about what you saw and what all these things uh, was like to be taken like that and see those things. And John's focus wasn't just on the trials, though, he, but the reward also. And when you're going through tribulation, it would be very wise to not just think about the situation that you're in. Amen. Uh, but also think about the reward that is coming and be encouraged and lifted up in Christ. And then he talks about not just the description here, but he, then he talks about the location. Uh, where is he? He is at Patmos. Uh, Patmos was a desolate, rocky island uh, where people were banished and we were forced to labor. Uh, uh, why was John there? Well, he says it in this verse, for the word of God. Uh, he was preaching the gospel, and they didn't like what he was preaching, and so they eventually, most likely after telling him to stop, but he wouldn't stop, uh, they eventually sent him to Patmos, the Isle of Patmos. Uh, but also, there was something else that he was doing. Uh, he was also sent there because uh, for the testimony of Christ. Uh, <clears throat> he was preaching God's word, but he was also preaching about Jesus Christ and his, the testimony that he saw personally of what Jesus Christ lived. and uh, But not only that, uh, but he um, testified, um, like like Paul, he preached Christ and him crucified. He didn't stick away. I started to say something, and then I veered to the left there. But anyways, uh, that's what happens whenever I'm ADD today, for uh, really strongly today. So we'll just, just de- bear with me and try to keep up. Uh, anyways, uh, so the, the scribe here, is given his description uh, and his location, what he is, who he is, and what, where he is. And now uh, we see in verse 10, secondly, the situation. The situation. Verse 10 says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet. What was John experiencing here? Uh, there's some disagreement uh, about the interpretation of this exactly, but uh, I'll tell you what I believe is, uh, is said here. In fact, I'll probably tell you both sides of it, because either one of them, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't change uh, the truth in any way. Uh, first of all, we see that he was letter A in the spirit, and that's a key word there. Uh, some believe that this just means that the spirit showed him these things. Uh, he was moved by the Holy Spirit and just really worshiping the Lord, and the Holy Spirit moved him, and then he was uh, uh, saw this vision because of that. Some believe that he was physically transported there. Um, the Spirit moved him there. Um, uh, he was fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit, and the, and the Holy Spirit moved him there physically. Uh, but we do agree that the Holy Spirit showed him this vision. Um, I believe he was physically on Patmos, but spiritually uh, shown these scenes. Um, I think he was transported uh, through time uh, and shown things uh, that will happen in the future. And I'll I'll tell you why in just a minute. Uh, But in fact, that leads us right to the next one. It says, he is in the spirit on the Lord's day. That's letter B. Uh, He was on the Lord's day. He is in the spirit or by the work of the Holy Spirit to, uh, uh, he was, uh, on the Lord's day. On the Lord's day, the word on is translated from the Greek word en, E-N. <coughs> At least transliterated, it's that way. 
Uh, it can be translated in, it can be translated on, it can be translated at, and it can be translated by, depending on the context of what is there. Um, all of them have to speak to the place of the happening. And so it all means the, basically the same thing. It may come more naturally saying it one way or another. Um, and for this reason, I, I do not believe that uh, this is speaking of the first day of the week, uh, as some believe. Uh, when he says, on the Lord's Day. Um, I, I'm not dogmatic about this view. Um, I, I just, this is just what I feel based on some other things that are in this passage. Um, but some believe this is Sunday, and they might be right. Uh, this is the only time in the Bible that this term is used in Scripture in this form. Now, the exact same words are used many times, but the words are reversed. Uh, and it's just two words. Uh, and uh, all throughout the rest of Scripture, it's reversed, and it says the, Lord, the day of the Lord. Uh, and here only is it the Lord's day. And so because of that, uh, some will interpret that as being, well, that must be Sunday. It's the only time Sunday is called the Lord's day in the Bible. Uh, and, uh, the, but the other time, uh, everywhere else, these two words uh, are used to speak of uh, the second coming of Christ. Um, I personally believe that uh, the, he was transported in the spirit to the day of the Lord. Uh, again, I, I'm not dogmatic about that, and it really doesn't matter because the bottom line is the bottom line. He was shown this vision. Uh, but I believe that he was transported from uh, his time in AD 2030, something like that, and transported to the day of the Lord after the rapture, after the seven-day tribulation, really. Uh, it should be even further. Um, or at least to the, uh, the day when judgments start to come. Uh, it's, again, I'm not dogmatic about it, but uh, again, it really doesn't matter which way you, you read that. The final result is the same. Um, I lean more towards the idea that he was transported by the Holy Spirit to the Lord's day, uh, but that's just me, maybe. Um, when John sees things that were, uh, from this perspective, he, sa he, he is looking back on the church age. Uh, and so he is then there in that future, and when he sees the things that were, it, he speaks to the past. And the, what he's writing here, he tells them to write what, what things were, what things are, and what things are to come. And what he's writing here in the next section is the things that were past, and the only time that can be is at the end, at the tribulation at least, at the beginning of the tribulation at least, if not the second coming of Christ. Uh, now, uh, but he, John is there, uh, he hears the voice behind him, a voice that is powerful like a trumpet, and now we are introduced to Roman numeral three, the speaker, uh, the speaker. Verse 11 says, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, <coughs> and what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. He gives, first of all, uh, a description of, uh, what he, uh, of who this is that's speaking. Uh, he hears the voice. He has not seen the person yet. He has not seen the, uh, the, the person that is speaking uh, so he is just giving the description that he is given audibly. Uh, so we looked at this last week uh, a little bit whenever we looked at verse number 8. Uh, but he says somewhat the same things here. Um, and some versions don't have 
this in the in in their Bible. Uh, but uh, the same description is given multiple times in Revelation, and there's nothing new being given here uh, that's not being given somewhere else. Uh, but his voice says that he is number one, Alpha and Omega. We talked last week about this being the first and the last letter of the alphabet. Uh, we say, uh, when we talk about something being all of something, we say from A to Z, you know? Well, this is exactly what's being said here, Alpha and Omega. It's everything in between. Show, up, show that next uh, slide up there. Anybody recognize this logo? How many of you think that that's a smile underneath there? Notice it's an arrow, and it's pointing from A to Z. Why? Because they sell everything from A to Z. <laughs> and that's their logo, because they're saying, hey, you can come here to buy subliminally. A lot of people don't even realize it, but subliminally, they're saying we sell everything from A to Z. Um, and that is what, he's, uh, what he is. He is our all in all. Uh, he is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And he, can, and he continues and says that he is the number two, first and last. I don't think that's on your notes, but you can write it in. Uh, he is the first and last. Uh, when time began, he was there. When time will end, he will be there. Amen. And uh, once he introduces himself, then he gives his, uh, his declaration, his declaration, letter B. He tells him, I want you to write, okay? Uh, verse 11 uh, says, I, I am an Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book. Uh, he says, I want you to write what you see uh, so that these people can know what you see. Uh, Jesus is revealing it to John uh, by way of the angel, and John is to send this to the churches. Now, he says the book in the King James. Uh, I don't know what other versions say because I didn't look, but uh, other versions uh, may say scroll. Uh, it's literally a scroll. Of course, they didn't have leather-bound and uh, binded books then, but it's the same thing. It's the idea of what we're talking about here, uh, writing it so that they can be sent to other people. Uh, and then he says, so he wants him to write it. His declaration is, write this, and then I want you to send it. Send it to the seven churches in Asia. Now, this is not, of course, Asia as we know it, as we call Asia. This is Asia Minor. These seven churches that he is writing to are all located in what is now modern-day Turkey. Uh, this is the area where John had spent the majority of his previous years. Uh, so he was very familiar with these churches uh, and even their pastors. And then John says that he turned, when he heard the voice, he turned and he saw the speaker. And then he gives not only his description of what he says he is, his declaration, what he says, but then he begins to describe his details, his details, letter C. And first he describes the first thing that he saw was the seven candlesticks. I don't know if I saw what John saw. Uh, I'm not sure that I would start with the candlesticks. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I would. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, he started with the seven candlesticks, verse 12, and it says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And these are not candlesticks like we think of, like the sticks of a candle that you light at the top, but these are lampstands. And the church is a lampstand, and Jesus is the light, amen? And we share his light. Uh, verse 13, it continues, and it says, In the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. 
Then he describes uh, one standing in the midst of the candlesticks and gives quite a description here. First, he calls him one like unto the Son of Man. Uh, don't get hung up on the language there, like unto. Uh, you know, he is, what he's saying is uh, the, uh, the Son of Man, uh, that term is used to describe a human being. Uh, it's seen a lot in uh, the book of Luke, <laughs> my Gospel of Luke. I think that's right. My brain just went dead on me. Uh, you know, but whenever the emphasis is on the Son of Man, and uh, so you see that terminology used a lot there because the emphasis is that he was 100% human, but he was also 100% God. Amen. And John emphasizes the Son of God. And so here, uh, the Apostle John is describing what he says. He says, one like unto the Son of Man. He, is like, he was human form. Uh, he was human. Uh, often, uh, it was just used to describe a human being. Uh, but he continues the description. He says, Christ was clothed, uh, was clothed to his feet. Uh, a long garment or robe that reached his feet. Kind of reminiscent of a priestly garment. Uh, the priest's garments are described as going down to their ankles. Uh, Christ has a, a golden breastplate here as well. Uh, a golden girdle around his chest. Uh, a belt or a band or a sash or something around, uh, around his chest. Uh, it kind of reminded me of the Old Testament priest as well and the <coughs> golden ephod that they would wear. And Jesus, of course, is the high priest of the church. Hebrews 4.14, seeing that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. As, G as John sa saw him, he doesn't go right out say this, but the, the, the description fits that of a priest. And that's his job there. Um, verse 14, continuing on, it says, His head and his hairs were like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Uh, he says his, his Christ's head and hair were like wool. It was white, uh, symbols of righteousness. Uh, I am becoming more and more Christ-like as I age, amen? Uh, I'm getting more and more white hair. My dad has very white hair, and some of you do too. And, uh, but he had hair like uh, under wool. Uh, it's interesting to see the description in Daniel chapter 7 of the Lord. Uh, <coughs> in verse 9, he says, I behold till the... Thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands and thousand th thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. I beheld them because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. I beheld even till the beast was slain, and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. And he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and, and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. 
Uh, much of the imagery in Daniel uh, is, is seen here in Revelation. One speaking of God the Father, one speaking of God the Son. Uh, Daniel calls him the Ancient of Days, an obvious reference to God. Um, the white sim, uh, symbolizes old age often in Scripture, and the, and the Ancient of Days there is seen that way as well. And the white also suggests holiness and righteousness. He continues with his description. He says, Christ's eyes were a flame of fire. And suggests his eyes were a searching or a, ju a judgment. It's showing that he can see through our deceptions. Uh, he's omniscient. He knows everything. And you can't deceive him. In continuing verse, uh, verse 15, he says, And his feet likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Uh, Christ's feet, uh, says here in this description, was like fine brass. Uh, it seems to suggest that they were glowing, or at least like a metal that has been highly refined. <clears throat> and this word uh, is only used in Revelation, this Greek word that's used here. And it seems to be a compound Greek word for the word uh, for metals, such as brass and bronze, and the term uh, for frankincense. Uh, maybe referring to the whiteness of frankincense. The glowing, it looks like a glow a little bit. And frankincense is a whitish, yellowish, gum-like material resin uh, that almost seems to glow. And, uh, and so perhaps this is how John is describing the feet that seem to glow. And the bronze altar in the temple was used for making sacrifices for sin. Uh, as such, bronze is often a symbol of justice or judgment. Uh, once on this earth, Satan bruised his heel at Calvary, but now his enemies will be made his footstool and uh, Jesus will bruise his head. Uh, and he'll have the final judgment. And then John describes Christ's voice. His voice was as many waters. Uh, this made me think of going to see Bernie Falls. Uh, whenever we lived in Bernie, uh, California, up in the mountains, there was a uh, big waterfall that was there, and uh, it would uh, come over the top with a river that was on top of the cliff would fall over the falls. Uh, but it, th uh, it was uh, there were lava, lava tubes all throughout that area from a, a, a volcano that uh, exploded or whatever you call it erupted. Uh, back in the early 1900s, and it went underground at places and burned through the ground and created these tubes. Uh, the, water, the river there, Pitt River, would, uh, will go on top of uh, the ground at, like normal, but at parts of the, of the land, it'll actually go underground in those lava tubes, and the entire river will just disappear. Uh, then it'll hit the end of one of those lava tubes, and it shoots back up on top and goes like a normal river again. Uh, well, at this part, uh, there are tiny holes all throughout the cliff face from that lava rock, and the water comes over the edge, majority of the water comes over the edge, but also through all throughout the whole cliff edge, it comes out of the cliff itself as well. And it's a really beautiful waterfall, but the thing that gets me about the waterfall is how loud it is. Uh, it's a lot of water coming over that waterfall every, uh, every moment, and uh, it's very loud. Uh, in fact, if you're standing there with family or friends, you have to speak up in order to be heard uh, and hear each other uh, because the sound of many waters is, is very loud. Uh, you can hardly hear. Uh, at the beginning, his voice is described uh, as like a trumpet. Uh, now it's a voice of, like many waters. And there's no doubt of his leadership. Amen? No doubt of his authority. Uh, and you can't argue with the voice of God. 
Psalm 93, 4 also says something similar. It says, The Lord on high is mightier, is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. There are other verses as well that speak of this. But it speaks to the nations that oppose God. Uh, but they, uh, they, they are not mighty enough. He is mightier than they. Uh, and it must have been strange for John, uh, I think, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved, uh, the one who laid upon his breast at the, uh, in that upper room, to see Jesus like this. Now in Revelation 1, verse 16, he says, that it talks about his hand. In his hand he held seven stars, he says. Christ's right hand possessed seven stars. He had or held these stars, and they are in his hand. No one can take them from him, amen? Uh, the, he has them under his control. Uh, stars, uh, in this reference, is not celestial bodies, uh, but uh, messengers of the churches. The uh, word speaks of messengers. Uh, we're going to jump down to the last verse of this chapter before it, uh, because it deals with this passage here. Verse 20, he says, the mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. He says, the seven stars are the angels or messengers of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. Uh, he has absolute authority over his messengers. His messengers are in his hand. Uh, the word used here, uh, again, is messenger. I, I believe that it's speaking about the pastors of those churches. Uh, many people are suspicious of God's messengers, uh, but we are wise to watch God's hand on, on his messenger. Amen? Uh, does this mean that you can't disagree with the pastor? No, not at all, because uh, he, he's human. Amen? And he can make mistakes. Uh, but God takes care of that, and that's a, that's a sobering thing. Uh, no, it speaks to God's authority over his messengers. Uh, he also is protecting his messengers as well, though. Uh, then verse 16, it continues, and he talks about his mouth. He says, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Christ's mouth was a two-edged sword. Does that sound familiar anywhere? Uh, how about Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12? For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than, any, than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Boy, God's word can just cut right through, can it? And uh, divide the truth from fiction, truth from falsehood. And uh, why? Because it's the word of God. And here, the, John sees him, and his, his mouth is like a two-edged sword. Uh, the word of God defeats Satan, amen? We see that in Matthew chapter 4, the temptation of Christ. <coughs> Jesus <coughs> used the Bible to defeat Satan, to defeat temptation. Uh, by the way, we would be wise to do the same. Amen? Second uh, Thessalonians 2.8, he says, And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Seems only fitting that, uh, the, that the, the creation of the world is by the speak God speaking it into existence. And the destruction of his enemies, all he has to do is speak. Amen? And uh, they are destroyed. And then the last part of verse 16, he says, And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Christ's countenance was as a sea that shines. Uh, have you ever gone to a body of water when the sun is shining just right or wrong, however you want to look at it, and it's just about blinds you, doesn't it? 
this is what John is describing here. Uh, the, the sun shineth uh, is uh, on, on the sea. Uh, countenance refers to his, uh, his facial appearance. Uh, bright as the noonday sun. Uh, the brightness speaks to his glory as the son of God. Uh, and I can't help but to think when John caught a glimpse, just a glimpse of God's glory uh, on Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. And his face shone, the Bible says. Uh, or Paul's experience on the road to Damascus in Acts 9.3. He says, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And uh, the, his countenance shines forth. He is the son of righteousness. And this is a powerful view of the Lord Jesus Christ here. Boy, what a sight. A sight like this would uh, have quite an effect on a person, don't you think? It affected John so much that he fell at his feet as if he were dead, he says. Verse 17. And perhaps he passed out. Uh, I don't know, but either way, John was terrified. But then look what happens. And I love this. Here we see a glimpse of John's friend. Our friend, amen? The one who is. I just about burst into tears when I read this again. Uh, seeing this description, and then you see the tenderness of this moment. And here we see uh, the Savior, Roman numeral 4, the Savior. Uh, verse 17, the second part of that verse, he says, <clears throat> And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. Boy, you can't help but to see his compassion there. In fact, that's letter A, his compassion. Uh, he laid his right hand upon him and said, fear not. He's the king and judge. He's mighty and he's great. But he's still our loving, compassionate Savior. Amen? I'm almost, like I said, brought to tears when I saw this awe-inspiring description of Jesus. And then those tender words. He laid his right hand upon me. And he says, fear not. And why, would we, why should we fear when this is uh, what he looks like? I mean, it, it's, it's terrifying, right? And yet, he's our friend. He's our brother in Christ. Uh, and brother, because of what he's done for us. Uh, he's our savior. Uh, well, then he continues and he gives his credentials. We see his compassion first and then he begins to give his credentials again. Uh, verse 17, he says, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. And those that are, are his never need to fear him or dread him. Amen. Uh, he was the first and the last. Uh, beginning and the end. He is all and created all. Uh, he liveth, he says. He was dead, but now he lives, and not just lives again. Uh, uh, you know, people have lived again. Uh, you know, they, they're, they're, Jesus raised people from the dead. Uh, some of the prophets raised people from the dead, but they all had something in common. They died again. Uh, Jesus will never die again. Amen. Uh, he is was dead, but now he lives and is alive forevermore. Amen. Uh, no one has the power to kill him ever again. Uh, he laid his life down the first time he came. The second time he comes, he comes to conquer every foe. And he has the keys of hell and death, he said. And because, uh, because he does, uh, I don't need to fear death or hell. Amen. 
the Greek word here for hell is Hades, and some Bible versions prefer to transliterate it directly into the English version. Uh, either way, it's made clear. It's the place of dead spirits of the lost. And Jesus is in charge of the keys of hell and death. And uh, we need not fear either one of those because we're his. And then we see his command. Let her see his command. He says in verse number 19, Write these things, write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. John is to write everything he has seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be. This deals with, first of all, the past. At this point, I believe he's looking back at the church age. And he gives the message to the seven churches that Jesus is giving him from that time period. Uh, he is looking to, at what is happening right now, and he's to write what it's, uh, happens now, the present, uh, of John's present at this time. Uh, what, and then he is to write the future, what will happen in the future. As we go uh, in future days further into this revelation, we'll see the things that are shown to John. I'm glad I don't have to cover all of this in one day, though. Amen? <laughs> uh, with the day of the Lord in mind, what should our response be? Uh, just like John, our response to the glory of the Lord ought to be one of fear and awe. Uh, oh, we don't need to fear him and be terrified, but it's the fear that is awe, inspiring him. And he, uh, Verse 17, and he fell on his face as if dead. And there it could be seen as a worship as well. Uh, and uh, uh, Isaiah fell before the, before the Lord. Uh, Woe well, unto me, he says. What a vision John had. Uh, what can we take away from this study tonight? Uh, I, I, how can we apply this passage to our lives? One way that we can apply it is to see that the church of our day, I believe, will soon understand the tribulation and suffering that the church understood in John's day. Our culture is changing. Uh, this world is not becoming more friendly to Christianity. It is getting worse. It's becoming increasingly hostile to God's word, to his word, and to his church. And we soon will read Revelation 1.9 and see John, who is your brother and companion in tribulation, and will understand even better what he's speaking of then. Secondly, the message that John wrote is a message that we can take to heart. Jesus told John a message for the seven churches, and in writing these words down, they're a message to us as well. Now we're, we're only beginning this message from Christ. But we can at this point receive the same comfort that the church of the first century received from reading these words and the same challenge that the churches from the first century received. Why? Because Jesus is the first and the last. Uh, he is he that liveth and was dead, but now live, is alive forevermore. And he holds the hand in his hand the keys to hell and death. Our God and Savior Jesus Christ is in control. Tribulation may come, and eventually it will come, but God is in control. Even if we are brought to death through persecution, they can't win. They may take our body, but they'll never take our soul, because Jesus holds the keys to death. He is the first fruit of, right of the resurrection, and we too will live again. And because he lives, I will live too. Amen? As we go through the study of Revelation, I don't want to spread fear. Uh, no, Jesus began his message with the words, fear not. Amen? 
And that is the overwhelming story of Revelation, is to see Jesus for who he is. Amen? Well, let's take some prayer requests tonight.